The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Provoke Podcast. This is Arun Sudharman from Provoke. And very happy to be joined today by Jessica Hope, who is the founder and managing director of Wimbart, a London-based boutique PR agency. Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, everyone. Um, so I'm really glad you uh, agreed to join. Um, I'm keen to talk to you about the agency that you've built, the work that you're doing, and I'm also keen to discuss some of the issues that we're seeing uh, around racial diversity and inclusion in the PR industry. Um, now, Wimbart, am I correct in saying it specializes in the African tech startup sector? Yes, uh, we focus predominantly on um, African tech, uh, mostly, uh, mostly in Nigeria, uh, but we also work with companies in Kenya, South Africa, Ghana. But I would say about 70% of our work uh, comes from Nigeria. Okay, cool. And so tell us a little bit about the story of Wimba. When, when did you launch it and why? So um, Wimba, first and foremost, is a happy accident um, in terms of the fact that it was actually my previous boss uh, who pushed me into setting up the company. Um, I previously was head of global communications for a West African technology and entertainment company called Iroco. Uh, and it was run by, uh, I guess, a friend from university called Jason Njoku. Uh, he had secured his first Series A investment. Uh, this was back in 2011. And he wanted to formalize some of the PR and comms that he needed uh, to help him grow the company. So uh, before that, I was head of press at the Jewish Museum in London. Uh, Jason asked me to leave and uh, join Morocco, and I did. And yeah, um, I basically worked uh, and uh, worked in the West African tech and entertainment space for about three and a half years, um, handling corporate communications for for Jason and the company, but also uh, some of the consumer side of things. So working with some of the stars, uh, some of the Nollywood stars. So when did you launch uh, Wimbot? So Wimbot was launched in 2014. Um, okay. Funnily enough, Jason had already mentioned to me, um, you know, that one day I would have to leave Morocco and set up my own business. I thought he was maybe trying to fire me in a nice way. I wasn't quite sure uh, where that conversation was coming from. But mm. uh, pretty much because what we'd managed to do with Jason in terms of building his profile, not only in West Africa and Pan-African press, but also internationally, a lot of his peers in the African tech space were asking him if they could almost subcontract me to them. Uh, so he, I think you know, he's a true entrepreneur uh, and he really saw that there was a business case for me to build out my own PR agency. Mm. So in 2014, uh, I was pregnant. So Jason suggested that uh, now would be a good time for me to set up my, up my own company uh, because I would probably have a bit more flexibility. Um, so I did, mm. so I set up Wimbart when I was uh, eight months pregnant. Uh, Iraqa was my first client and I had my baby uh, and even even when I was um, you know the baby was like a month old I was getting inbound inquiries for people to come and um, 
work with me, but I did leave it a few months. Uh, and then I took on another client and then another one. And all of a sudden I stopped being a freelancer and actually it was looking like it could become a very small company. So mm. I hired, uh, I had my first member of staff, Maria, who previously worked with me at, at Rocco, funnily enough. And the company just grew from there. Uh, we were we were quite small. We were quite small for a, a long time, actually. Uh, there was just sort of two or three of us for a number of years. Um, and I think a lot of that is because we did a lot of project work. We didn't really have any sort of larger retained clients. Uh, and then in 2019 in particular, we grew very, very quickly. And we went from three of us to 10 of us now. Oh, wow. And that's uh, quite ex- all organic growth. Yeah, that's quite explosive growth. That was just new clients that you brought in? New clients. We won a lot of contracts which were retained clients, which meant that we were able to predict our cash flow a little bit uh, mm. easier. Uh, we could invest in the company a bit more, but get a bigger office and so forth, uh, mm-hmm. and invest in, invest in more talents as well. Mm. So you're 10 people, um, and all of, all of your staff are black, is that correct? Uh, yes. Okay. And so do people ask you, uh, because, you know, if you have an all-white PR firm, no one ever asks why they're all white. <laughs> do people ask why, why your firm is, is all black? They do. Um, and I've also uh, received a critique before saying that Wimbart isn't a truly diverse company because we don't hire any white people. Um, I don't know if people were saying that in a tongue-in-cheek way, tongue-in-cheek mm-hmm. way, but... Um, you know what? I'm really light-skinned, right? So most people assume that I'm white. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, a lot of people assume I'm white and not mixed race. Uh, mm. And that's fine. Like, we have a, a broad range of, like, colors working for us within the company. Um, mm. So, yeah, it, we were intentional in terms of hiring. Uh, at first, I would say, actually, um, people of African descent, because we work mm-hmm. with African tech companies, right? So we wanted people who completely understood the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, early on, I could see from my experience in the PR world that there weren't as many opportunities or avenues for black people in the, in the PR sector mm-hmm. to kind of grow within agencies, or actually, I would say, be themselves within agencies, uh, and actually in-house as well, sad mm-hmm. to say. So it, it makes a lot of sense. You're working on um, African clients, Nigerian clients. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to hire people um, that understand those businesses better than anyone else on the market. Uh, but you also mentioned the benefits of providing kind of avenues um, for black people in the industry, maybe even creating some kind of a safe space um, for them, given uh, the experiences that, that many black and and, and um, and also brown people have had in this industry. How much of it is down to one and, and, and or the other, if that makes sense? So, I mean, how much of it do you, do you kind of ascribe to the business case and how much of it do you ascribe to maybe wanting to create change? That's a really interesting question. I would say, you know, we're a business, so the business case is completely, you know, it's critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that part of that business case is building, as you say, a safe space, but also an environment where people can be themselves mm-hmm. uh, and they're able to operate at a kind of full capacity right. uh, and they're not kind of hiding any part of themselves, which is, I think, when you speak to a lot of black people and Asian mm-hmm. people uh, in the PR sector, that's what they feel that they have to do. They have to kind of cloak 
quite a large part of who they are because it might not fit in with kind of large white agencies. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's, that's a really important point. Um, mm -hmm. So the, the business case is often, you know, the, it started off with, you know, we work with so many Nigerians that it makes sense for Nigerians to speak to Nigerians mm. <laughs> in terms of understanding some of the cultural practices, uh, in terms of, um, yeah, just being part of the culture. Right? And I think mm -hmm. that we also found uh, Nigerians and Ghanaians, especially who were interested in the subject matter, like they had a deep personal interest. And I think everyone knows that when you're working on something that you're really genuinely interested in, you work even more kind of creatively, like you're really yeah. like emotionally part of that as well. So we found that we were having um, a lot of people from the diaspora who were just wanted to work on something that was of interest to them. And mm. a lot of that was kind of Africa and importantly, not like the charity side of Africa, which is what I think a lot of people in the West see. So this is not like working for an NGO. It's not mm. like, how are we going to give out aid or anything like that? Not those sort of stereotypical sides of, you know, PR and, um, that sure. the West often portrays, it's more the case of like, we are working with businesses to build businesses yeah. and to scale and to grow and to hire people and to have like an impact. And yes, of course, you know, there's a social impact, but also we're working with entrepreneurs who are often really interesting people as well. Mm. Yeah, the, the tech sector in, in many African countries, the startups in particular is is thriving. I think it's, it's actually one of the things we've seen from our um, from our Sabre Awards. In Africa, it's interesting what what you said. The um, it's almost like you can unlock an even stronger business case by creating this kind of a safe space, um, by kind of creating a consultancy for people who maybe couldn't do their best work uh, at, at agencies where they were so clearly and and often you know intolerably in the minority. Yeah, and and, and that's my hope. And um... You know, I think that Wimbard is slightly different. Well, no, I think we're very different to a lot of agencies. But, um, you know, I, when we grew very quickly, we continued to hire people, um, you know, and again, not just Africans. You know, we have this, you know, we hired a, a Jamaican this year. Um, and that really was like broadening our diversity even yeah. more. Um, and but people it, said you weren't diverse. Of, people yeah, said you weren't exactly. diverse. <laughs> Yeah, and for a long time we were all female team, and then we hired a couple of guys. I mean, we're really pushing the diversity boundaries, yeah. um, I guess. But the essentially, it means that people are just really engaged in what they're doing. Yeah, I think that's the main thing. They're engaged in what they're doing, and they really care, and they can see the bigger picture as well. Mm. And um, it's you know they're they're not focusing so much on the microaggressions. Mm -hmm that they might pick up on in less diverse agencies as well. They're not worrying about whether or not they should say this or whether or not they should say that. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's also, you know, the opportunity for people to grow in their career. Mm. You know, we don't want people to just stay static. You know, people get promoted at Wimbledon, and that's a really important part of, um, you know, just general career progression as well. Yeah, I mean, you, just in one kind of sentence, you've touched on a number of things that, you know, minorities and, and, and I think black people particular face um, in mainstream PR agencies um, but uh, coming back to what you said about kind of the business case and and creating change I suppose the two things are not mutually exclusive are they I mean one kind of reinforces the other in that um, 
having an agency that can handle these kinds of businesses from all across Africa both creates change and is also really strong as a business proposition. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. And I think that it is, you know, we, we do have to keep going back to this. It is a business case, but mm -hmm. at the same time, we are very mission-led as in terms of we are this open environment for black people to work and be themselves. And, you know, one of the things that I've found at other agencies and in-house is that when you're in the minority, you'll just tend to find that one other black person. And then yeah. all of a sudden, like, you're just kind of, you're, those, you're, you're just the token minorities. Yeah, if you can, which... If you can, <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and that's, you know, very, very weird. And you, you just happen to be a black person. Mm. Right? Whereas you come to Wimba and you can be Nigerian. <laughs> uh, and even under that, you can be Yoruba, you can be Igbo. Oh, excellent. You can be Ghana, okay. be yeah. Kenyan, you can be Jamaican, you can be Guyanese, yeah. like, you, yeah. do you know what I mean? It's... You, you're not just labeled under, you know, the BME umbrella. You just are who you are and you celebrate your culture. And, you know, it's also like fully authentic. And mm -hmm. we try and celebrate each other's cultures in an authentic way. So we don't have, oh, you know, this is Nigeria Day, this is Ghana Day, or this is whatever day. But people bring in food from, you know, if they travel, they come back. They we, like make food for each other. Or, you know, when we have our DJ Wimbuck Fridays, we might celebrate music from different countries as well so we recently had a girl who joined us and her family originally is from uh, DRC mm. Democratic Republic of Congo mm -hmm. um, and we had a DJ battle and she actually won because she's just teaching us all about different music from DRC that we haven't heard before yeah and it's kind of That's it's cool. not a big thing it's just like a celebration of her music right and we're just learning something new and it's it's authentic and yeah it's well for us it's very real what was the DRC? What were the tunes like? I'm not really up on DRC music. I mean, uh, French speaking, yeah. mad vibes, all good. Really, I need to get some of that onto the Saber playlist. Um, <laughs> how has it been uh, at your firm following the um, the onset of the Black Lives Matter protests in uh, in America, of course, which has since spread to the UK uh, and many countries around the world? We've seen some really ugly scenes over the weekend in London. Um, have the people in, in, in your firm responded and, and has, has it changed at all the kind of, of activity and work that you want to do? So it affected all of us and it affected all of us in different ways. Um, there were some members of the team who you know, were asking the question, why aren't more prominent uh, black artists or sports people saying out, speaking out? Whereas other members of the team were like, well, actually, these things shouldn't always have to be um, focused on black artists, black sports people. Like, why should they always have to be the spokespeople? Do you know what I mean? It, and interestingly, there was, it just showed that there are levels of complexity and discussion points, and, you know, that in, in reaction to this. But essentially, everyone was deeply upset. And mm -hmm. um, we had a really full and frank discussion about what this meant to us, uh, how we felt about it. Um, and people were able to be angry. They could express their anger uh, in a, you know, a Zoom call. Uh, and people are upset and people were doing a lot of soul searching in terms of like what it meant for them. Mm. And I also had to ask the team um, whether or not Wimbart was kind of creating its own bubble by mm. having this fully you know, BME team. 
um, are we kind of excluding ourselves from the wider, broader discussions about inclusion and, and so forth? And, you know, to be really honest, like, it's not like we've never had any, uh, it's not like we're never going to hire any white people or it's like we have a, a BME only policy that's 100% not the case. We just, mm -hmm. uh, I don't think we've ever really had any um, white candidates, but I'm sure we will do as we grow as well, as we mm -hmm. build out the team. But I think we have created a bubble around us. Um, and I had to ask the question, is this a good or a bad thing? Mm. Uh, and someone on the team actually said they actually felt that working at Wimba was like a safe space, which we've discussed mm. already. But they almost felt that they had survivor's guilt. Mm. By survivor's guilt, I think they meant that they were so relieved to be working in a space where they can be themselves mm -hmm. and say when they're angry and say what makes them feel without being labeled as an angry black woman. Mm -hmm without having to hide themselves and really kind of um, dull themselves down. Uh, and then compared to other people, you know, friends in other PR agencies or other communications roles, they felt guilty because mm -hmm. Wimba is very open. Um, now it's easy to be open when it's only a small team of 10, right? It's still very much kind of like a, a small, uh, small company that we work in. And it's obviously harder to kind of manage these things as you get bigger and bigger. Mm. So we had to think about our own diversity, but essentially we also had to think about our own reaction because we started seeing all of these other brands and agencies issuing out statements and all this stuff on social media. You should do this, you should do that, blah, 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 blah. And that was fine, but then thinking about it, we were already doing all of those things already um, in terms of hiring policies, uh, in terms of trying to source from black-owned businesses, etc. So we had to decide whether or not we were going to actually say something and be public about it. You know, Wimbat's always been very kind of quiet on the PR scene in the UK because all of our business comes from Africa. So we have never really needed to raise our profile, particularly in the UK, because we need to raise our profile on the continent. Um, we only really started raising our profile and kind of connecting more with the UK PR scene when we realized that obviously we need to attract talent as a company. Uh, mm. And it's interesting to see what the rest of the, the PR sector is doing as well. You know, we can't forget that we are part of the wider UK PR scene. Mm. Um, but I think that one thing that triggered everyone on the team was seeing all these very kind of smug, large agencies coming up with big, bold statements mm. when they are basically part of the problem. And yeah. I think we um, were very cynical to their responses. Mm. And what have the responses been like from the people on your team? I'm sure some of them, if not many of them, have have worked at, at big agencies? Yeah, I think that they, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people on the team have been writing. So we're just mm. sort of creatives at heart, like PR people are creatives. So we're trying to sort our thoughts uh, mm. and get everything literally done in black and white, pardon mm. the pun, um, but you know, trying to write it and, and get everything sorted. But I think it also just made us realize that we're even more focused on our own mission because mm. we don't want to be we don't want to be like those agencies so there's that anger right it's the hypocrisy of these agencies uh i saw two stories over the last kind of week or so mm -hmm. um one was from i think uh wpp who said that they were going to have some sort of industry body mm. um you know they have i read uh they have no bme um people on their board yeah at all i just think that's shocking yeah. Um, and I don't understand why it's taken, you know, the murder of George Floyd and riots around the world for them to realize this. Mm. Um, but also, 
in contrast to that, I read an article about it, and the media, I think, is partly to blame as well, because the media just reported on it, but it didn't actually call them out. No. It didn't call out WPP for why have you not had a diverse policy before then? Yeah. And what's even more disturbing is that part of this, throughout this, these communications agencies, this global communications network has so much power and influence on the media, but they, have an, they don't have a diverse team. So it's only ever white people who are influencing their clients who are then influencing someone else. And the media is not questioning this as well. Um, so I, I, just th I just think it's really shocking. And I think that we discussed in the team as well that we have no resources at Wimber, right? We're a completely organically grown company. These agencies have such massive reach, but they have not been able to do anything. They have so much money, so much opportunity, um, so much power, um, and yet they still haven't been able to do what we're doing in a very, very small scale way. And I think mm -hmm. that that's what was upsetting. It was, it was seeing how these agencies are basically using this opportunity to gain press for themselves, whilst they are basically central to the problem. It's, it's a form of virtue signaling, I suppose. Yeah in that um, they're saying all the right things. And honestly, I think we've seen agencies say all the right things for a long time now. Um, but like you said, I think it would be instructive if the agencies making these statements or the holding groups would also accompany them um, with pictures or stats on the composition of their own workforce, particularly the senior ranks. And I think you're right, I think the media including us, has to do a better job of putting that information into context. So when an agency does come out with a statement, um, their own record uh, is not ignored on these issues. Uh, because it, it's very easy to say the right things. Um, in fact, it's not that hard to do the right thing either, but for various reasons. Um, which I know you're, you're aware of, uh, that it, it's something that agencies have really struggled with. Um, you and mentioned- one of the reasons, Sorry, I was gonna say one of the reasons that they struggle is that it, I, I'm not sure if it's that they don't care or they just don't get it. But these are supposed to be some very, very, very smart people and they're all earning six figure salaries, et cetera. They're very powerful people, but they don't understand like us, the, the many issues that make make these things, make up things. Mm. Um, yeah, so you can set up a commission or you can set up this or, it, it's, 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 it's very, it's a very cynical and it's a very lazy response. Um, and I think mm. a lot of them forget the fact that they've had decades to sort this out. Yeah. My experience, both covering this and living through it to an extent, would be that it's both. Um, and, you know, one kind of feeds into the other. They don't, care and they don't get it and because they don't get it they don't care um now i think that's obviously tiring the industry with a very kind of broad brush i think um i think we're hope well we're hoping to see more change now do you think this time is any different hmm good point see i don't really know i i can only be hopeful but at the same time, I also think that because it's taken this extreme action, I also feel sorry for a lot of um, 
Black and Asian people who do now enter the sector or rise the ranks a bit faster, that the classic backlash will be like, well, it's just political correctness. It's tokenism. And that's the other thing. It's tokenism, yeah. right? That's what they will then be labeled with. Rather yeah. than people seeing that they've been kept back for so long, the vast majority of their colleagues are more likely to think, oh, well, this is just yeah. a quick fix. And that's, that's, the, that's the trouble. It's like people aren't being measured on their merit. Um, it's seen as this kind of like, oh, no, not the PC brigade, which is mm. just, it's just shocking. I know. And that's pernicious in itself, isn't it? Because that sense that maybe you're progressing for those reasons, it kind of stops you then trying to create any change um, to make the situation better, it, it kind of, I don't know, it almost kind of reduces your agency in the process. And, and I think you start to feel like, uh, well, I shouldn't bring any of this stuff up because mm -hmm. it's only going to attract unwanted attention. Um, and that's horrible. I think it does need to be intentional, though. I mean, you know, and I think, yes, the, the risk uh, of, a, of a backlash is real for many reasons. I think we'll see that. Do, do you feel like, that will be another challenge the industry will have to get to grips with. A backlash in terms of? Um, I think we could see people in the industry, you know, I mean, we've seen it in broader society, uh, all lives matter. And um, this idea that um, th these changes aren't necessary and they're not required and they're just political correctness gone mad. Um, and that you know these statues are are worth keeping um and you know the pr industry is far more progressive i think mm -hmm. than society in general so you may not hear that stuff voiced but you do you do still see it and hear it uh in 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 our industry as well yeah that's a really interesting point and this is where i'm going to go back to back to my bubble again where i <laughs> i don't think that i I'm very fortunate that I don't have to deal with those voices. Yeah. Um, I can just cut them out, right? Mm. I'm the but, boss of my own company, and I don't really have to deal with any large agencies. Right. Um, I have to say that uh, when I was at an award ceremony a couple of months ago, um, people were quite shocked that my teeny tiny African-focused uh, PR agency was kind of uh, ranked among some of the other agencies in terms of, not status necessarily, but they were like, oh, you know, it hadn't it doesn't occur to a lot of people that a you'd have a fully bme agency and b we have an agency focused totally on african tech like the, the black side of things is so totally out of a lot of people's mindsets mm. um that it goes back to your point about people just don't really care about it and they don't think about it mm. um so this is why i feel that we do have to kind of raise the subject and keep just having these discussions but it's important to have the discussions but only if there's actions otherwise it's just chit chat yeah. You know, you mentioned some of the issues that people face. You talked about microaggressions, mm -hmm. um, barriers to progression. There's, there's several. We've just come out with a, a list of 10 areas. I think you could probably break them down into something like 20 to 25 steps. From your perspective, are there any that are more, more or most important if the industry is serious? about tackling systemic racism? Hmm. I think part of it is a hiring policy. Hmm. Um, 
and my account director this week wrote or last week wrote a really interesting piece about just recruitment in PR. You no, know, mm-hmm. he's been told a number of times you're just not the right fit. What does that even mean? Mm. Imagine just being told your feedback that you're not the right fit. Yeah. Uh, and that also then goes up higher, not just people in-house or agency, but recruiters as well, thinking, not putting forward black candidates because they're not the right fit. So I think that I think recruitment is a main issue. I think just in terms of, and this is a bit of a chicken and egg situation, but just in case, in, in terms of optics, um, I had a working experience girl um, a few years ago, and she was looking for her next role in PR. And she was looking at PR websites and she was like, it's just full of white people. And she already felt excluded because she knew she would be the token black person. Mm. And this is like a 22 year old girl, right? She just thought, I I don't know if I feel comfortable being in that situation. Mm -hmm. So it even starts from clicking on a website and they're not representative. So that's a barrier to entry as well. Mm. Um, But I think also in just in terms of, you know, people's experiences and agencies and, it doesn't just come from the top, it comes from the people who work in agencies and you hear stories about, you know, if people take in, I don't know, um, I don't know, like chicken and rice and peas, for example, and someone's mm, like, oh, that yeah. smells, well, that's weird. Like people yeah. making quite direct comments about your food in the food. workplace as well. All of those things are just, um, you know, there's, for years there's been a lot of discussion about um, black girls and their hair. Mm. You know, do they wear uh, weaves or however they have their hair and it's not seen to be professional in certain agencies about how they choose to have their hair which again mm. is another like attack on someone's culture as well yeah well so la- i mean those... language and um, accent these are all, all all kind of microaggressions that that all end. of those things that they just sort of layer up layer up layer up and people just think oh I just it, 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 it's probably just not for me as well mm. um, and i think the trouble is because it is a predominantly white white industry people tend to hire in their own kind of mirror image as well. Yeah. I mean, who hasn't worked uh, for a company when someone's like, oh, you remind me just like me when you were younger. So people, it, it, it's just a... Um, we'll say that Paul... It's Hatton, just a circle. When he first met me, it was quite alarming, I must say. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's interesting you brought up food because I often find um, in the workplace... Food is like a battleground of microaggressions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, people can be made to feel really othered because of yes. the, their food choices and the, the food they enjoy and the food they bring in. Yep. Whereas uh, I think Wimbart and team members at Wimbart were more likely to be aggrieved if someone brings something nice and then they haven't brought it in for the rest of us. Mm, right. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? It's more of a, like, we want to try something new and celebrate something new. It's just being open-minded. I think that's yeah. the thing, right? Open-minded. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yeah, we want to try, uh, you know, we had a work experience girl who she stayed with us for about a year, um, Ghanaian, and she would bring in all sorts of like, and all sorts of nice foods. And she, mm. like, we would just try new stuff. It's just open your eyes to try new stuff. And it was great. Yeah. But it, it, it's, it sounds, it, it's a wider, people feeling vocal enough, feeling emboldened enough to be so rude. Mm-hmm. about people's culture, I think, is just part of the problem, part of the yeah. problem as well. But I just wonder how many people in the industry really understand that food can be an issue, you know, in this. Because it's not something you ever see people talking about. And obviously, this isn't like the biggest or most important issue, but I think it's really emblematic no. 
of like just an everyday thing that you kind of have to go through. Um, yeah, or you know, if you're the only black girl in the office and everyone, you know, you're at your work party and Beyonce comes on and everyone just assumes you're going to be running to the yeah, dance floor because right. you, yeah. you must love Beyonce because you're black. You, mm-hmm. it, it's all those peculiar stereotypes that, again, that they'll just chip away, chip away, chip away. I worked somewhere once and, um, you know, it was just always assumed that I would just be able to get my client into The Voice, which is a UK black British mm-hmm. um, publication. Yep. But I was like, why? And the, 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 the client had nothing to do with UK black British culture in any way. But there was just always this like, well, but it's The Voice and you're a bit black, so you should be able to get us into The Voice. Mm-hmm. It's just these peculiar sort of stereotypes and assumptions that are... I think they're just quite odd. Yeah. I mean, beyond the ones we discussed, are there, I suppose, are there any other ways where you find that your team just doesn't have to kind of muzzle its own behavior, feelings, and opinions anymore? Um, Because it it seems to me that one of the impacts that this kind of system has created is, like you said, it, it stops people from being themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's probably useful to try and just to, I suppose, to just try and help people understand, um, how that happens and, and in which areas it happens. Yeah. I think probably just professionally understanding that people operate differently. Right. And I think mm. the trouble is with PR agencies, they can often be quite homogenous. Mm. So when you introduce some, someone new and the, it makes it, I think it confuses people. Yeah. Um, again, as I say, we, we just operate such an open cultural policy at Wimba. It's quite difficult to pinpoint how we've done it. I think it's because we, we don't fixate on it too much, actually. Mm. So whilst it, it's really important to us, it's, it's, not a, it's not necessarily a policy. Like we didn't yeah. workshop this idea. No. Um, we just have this policy of um, just celebrate you, your culture, be you, whilst you're mm. working very hard. It's a very like work hard, play hard kind of culture. Mm. Yeah. Um, well. But in terms of advice for other, other, um, I think other agencies, other people, I think they have to get over this concept of just workshopping and having commissions for everything or mm-hmm. setting up, you know, sooner or later, you just have to hire some black people. Mm. you have to hire some more Asian people you have to hire people that just not exactly like everybody else in the PR team mm. you just got to do it yeah and you've got to and make that, sure you that, keep that them sounds very simple well you've got to make sure you keep them as well and that, yeah retention actually is a really important point yeah. um, and that they feel included really and, mm. and they feel as valued as everyone else um, it's actually not you're right in a way it's not that hard um but at the same time, it is quite hard. So yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> it's odd. I, I thought that, um, you know, okay, I've never, I've never used a recruiter, mm. but I've managed to attract some incredible talent through my own networks. Mm. Um, and that's basically because um, if you're quite a cool place to work at, people want to come and work with you. Mm-hmm. You know, so we don't have a big brand label, but people... Uh, Probably in the last three weeks, I've had about 10 CVs. Mm. I mean, do you find to come and work with us? Are are recruiters an issue as well? Is that? um... 
Um, I, I, I couldn't speak to that because I haven't really worked with a recruiter. Mm. Um, okay. We've never, uh, we, we, I guess we've, we've always been too small to kind of invest in a, a recruiter. So I wouldn't like to kind of um, pass comment on that. From what I hear, sometimes they have been a problem, but um, from personal experience, I wouldn't be able to say. Yeah. Okay. So what does Wimbart mean? So um, huh. Wimbart is actually the name of a street in Brixton oh. that my grandparents lived in. Okay. Um, Don, and my dad grew up there and um, I spent a large chunk of my childhood there. Mm. And um, when my granddad came over from Guyana, which is in South America, mm. um, and he got together with my grandma. Uh, so he was black, she was white, uh, and her family kind of just disowned her, never really spoke to her ever again. Mm. Um, and obviously as a mixed race couple in Brixton growing, you know, in the 50s, 60s uh, it can't have been an easy time for them but mm. they persevered and um yeah. uh grew a, like happy successful family and so Wimbar is really was like a nod to their hard work and commitment and just a celebration of that oh that's cool um what's next for Wimbar? uh more growth i think uh, hopefully uh, it's been a really difficult time like with all agencies throughout you know coronavirus has been a really tough time uh whilst we've um lost clients uh we've also won a lot of new clients in the last few weeks as well so it's a really busy time mm -hmm. um, i'm hoping that we'll kind of get back on our growth trajectory towards the end of the year um and, and just probably continue what we're doing but probably try and do it better um bring more formality to the company uh, in terms of we're still kind of a I don't know, we're still in that sort of startup stage. So we need to, you know, try and be a bit more process driven, but without losing our charm. Hmm. Well, that sounds like fun. I think, um, yeah, I wouldn't bet against it. I hope it works. Do you know, I hope it works out. I do. I think that um, these last few weeks and speaking to the team and seeing what else is happening, I feel even more focused than I ever have done on the company. I've always kind of believed obviously believed in what we were doing but I believe mm. it in it believe in it even more now mm. um, I think what we're doing is um, I think we do good work for our clients but also in terms of um, bringing on boards like black talent in from in the PR industry is yeah. really important yeah you're um, creating real change I think yeah creating change and, and, and jobs and opportunities and growth opportunities that's the that's really really important mm. it's making sure that you know I, I I would have it like the idea would be that we never hire any more senior people we just hire more junior people and keep pushing people up that's like the i that's the sort of utopian idea yeah um but yeah to, to, to and continue to having an impact actually as well and as i say we've never really been hugely vocal as a pr agency but i think now more than ever we've had to kind of step up and actually show other people that it is possible to have a diverse team uh, and still be a business, right? Still grow as a business, and actually, it kind of, there is a business case for it too, yeah, as well as a moral and social one. There certainly is, and it shouldn't be a utopia or a utopian dream. Uh, Jessica, thank you so much um, for your time. Good luck with everything. Uh, let's thank talk you, again Ari. soon. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.